some of these issues from early Christianity, the lost Gospels, and their portrayal of Jesus. But according to the Da Vinci Code, these lost Gospels do not represent a heretical understanding of Jesus. They rather portray the historical truth about him, in particular that he was married to Mary Magdalene, and that they had a child and thus initiated a holy line that still survives to the present day. I knew that the book itself was fictional, of course, but as I read it, and for me, as for many others, it was a real page-turner, I realized that Dan Brown's characters were actually making historical claims about Jesus, Mary, and the Gospels. In other words, the fiction was being built on a historical foundation that the reader was to accept as factual, not fictitious. But like most historians who have spent their lives studying the ancient sources for Jesus and early Christianity, I immediately began to see problems with the historical claims made in the book. There were numerous mistakes, some of them howlers, which were not only obvious to an expert, but also unnecessary to the plot. If the author had simply done a little more research, he would have been able to present the historical backdrop of his account accurately, without in any way compromising the story he had to tell. Why didn't he simply get his facts straight? Since the Da Vinci Code was selling great guns already by the time my book Lost Christianities appeared, my publicist at Oxford University Press, Tara Kennedy, along with my longtime editor and friend, Robert Miller, suggested that I come up with a list of historical problems with the book, so that they could give these to our marketing people as an item of interest for anyone who might ask. And so I slapped something together rather quickly, based on a simple reading of Dan Brown's novel. Later, this quick list got onto the Internet. It eventually came to be published, with my blessing, but without my giving it an editorial once over, in one of the recent books that has come out dealing with the Da Vinci Code, a book edited by Dan Burstein, called Secrets of the Code, The Unauthorized Guide to the Mysteries Behind the Da Vinci Code. Burstein is a freelance journalist who has put together a very interesting compilation of opinions on the Da Vinci Code by experts and non-experts in a range of fields, from the ancient history of the Church, my field, to Leonardo da Vinci, to secret societies among the Roman Catholics. Included is my simple list of ten historical problems that I isolated for my publisher. Here they are, unchanged from how I first gave them. Some Factual Errors in the Da Vinci Code 1. Jesus' life was decidedly not recorded by thousands of followers across the land. He didn't even have thousands of followers, let alone literate ones. Page 231 2. It's not true that 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament. Page 231 this makes it sound like there was a contest entered by mail. 3. It's absolutely not true that Jesus was not considered divine until the Council of Nicaea, that before that he was considered merely as a mortal prophet, page 233. 
the vast majority of Christians by the early 4th century acknowledged him as divine. Some thought he was so divine he wasn't even human. 4. Constantine did not commission a new Bible that omitted references to Jesus' human traits, page 234. For one thing, he didn't commission a new Bible at all. For another thing, the books that did get included are chock full of references to his human traits. He gets hungry, tired, angry. He gets upset. He bleeds. He dies. 5. The Dead Sea Scrolls were not found in the 1950s, page 234. It was 1947. And the Nag Hammadi documents do not tell the Grail story at all, nor do they emphasize Jesus' human traits. Quite the contrary. 6. Jewish decorum in no way forbade a Jewish man to be unmarried, page 245. In fact, most of the community behind the Dead Sea Scrolls were male, unmarried celibates. 7. The Dead Sea Scrolls were not among the earliest Christian records, page 245. They are Jewish, with nothing Christian in them. 8. We have no idea about the lineage of Mary Magdalene. Nothing connects her with the House of Benjamin. And even if she were, this wouldn't make her a descendant of David, page 248. 9. Mary Magdalene was pregnant at the crucifixion? That's a good one. Page 255. 10. The Q document is not a surviving source being hidden by the Vatican, nor is it a book allegedly written by Jesus himself. It's a hypothetical document that scholars have posited as having been available to Matthew and Luke, principally a collection of the sayings of Jesus. Roman Catholic scholars think the same of it as non-Catholics. There's nothing secretive about it. Page 256. In addition to providing this simple list, I was interviewed for Dan Burstein's book as one of the experts in the field. And there I thought the matter would end. But Robert Miller, my Oxford editor, became increasingly convinced that the books that have started to appear about the Da Vinci Code are all seriously wanting in one way or another. Some, like Burstein's, are compilations made by people who are interested in the subject but not expert in it. Others, a greater number evidently, are written by religious persons who want to set the record straight in case some of their co-religionists, evangelical Christians mainly, might be misled by some statements found in the book. These kinds of reactions are fine for what they are, but what about a real response by somebody who is actually an expert in the area? Miller convinced me that there was a need for a historian to respond to Dan Brown's book. The reasons for my responding are not just that I happen to be interested in the book, I'm interested in lots of books and I don't plan on responding to them all, or that I'm concerned about its religious impact on the beliefs of others. My concern is really a bit more prosaic. I know that a lot of people learn about the past from works of fiction or from film. Just as The Da Vinci Code was hitting its stride, for example, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, made its own debut. 
It was a smash hit, principally among people who were both interested in the story of Jesus and uninformed of what the Gospels themselves have to say about it. How will such people, probably for the rest of their lives, think about Jesus' last hours? They'll think about them in light of what they saw portrayed on the big screen. Mel Gibson, much more than Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, will affect how people understand Jesus' death for at least the coming generation. The ability of film directors and book authors to affect public sentiment and to shift public thinking is neither a good thing nor a bad. It is simply a reality of the times. But when the images they create for their viewers or readers are erroneous, well, it means people misunderstand history as it really was and substitute fiction for facts. Maybe there's no real harm in that, but for those of us who spend our lives studying the history, it can grate a bit on the nerves. And so I've decided to write up a response to Dan Brown's book, to deal not with the nature of the story, I loved it as a murder mystery, but with the nature of its historical claims about Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Constantine the Great, and the formation of the canon of Scripture, all of them foundational issues for the story that Brown has created for us. The way to begin is by giving a brief synopsis of the story as a refresher for those who have already read it. I'm assuming that anyone who might want to read this book will have already read Dan Brown's. The Da Vinci Code, a brief synopsis. The Da Vinci Code has a complex and intricately woven plot, which I will give here only in brief form. There has been a mysterious murder in Paris of the renowned curator of the Louvre, Jacques Saunier. Because of bizarre religious symbols left at the scene of the crime,